Well, good morning again. Uh, it's November, if you haven't noticed. And I love the month of November. November, um, it's my favorite season. So that's one reason I love November. It's my favorite holiday. Uh, I love Thanksgiving. I'm the Grinch until, until Thanksgiving comes. I'm the Grinch in our house. I'm the no Christmas decorations, no Christmas music. We are gonna, we are gonna appreciate Thanksgiving. And so I fight for Thanksgiving. I tell my girls, you gotta respect the bird. Respect the bird. It's a very important holiday. So I love Thanksgiving. It's also the month that has the birthday of my favorite person, who also happens to be my favorite wife, who also happens to be my only wife. <laughs> and so um, I, I love this month. And I, I think, uh, you know, it's, it's okay to have favorites, isn't it? Isn't it okay to have some favorites? I saw something online the other day that was one of those things that I, before I read it, I never thought of it. But after I read it, I was like, this is so true. And it was like one of the, one of the things about being an adult is you have a favorite burner on your stovetop. I thought, oh my goodness, that's true. I do have a favorite burner that if I'm not using any other ones, I always use that one. And so it's okay to have favorites. I think the one thing you should not have a favorite of, of course, is a favorite kid. Um, you know, you're supposed to love all of your kids equally, so no favorite kids. Th- this morning um, in Ephesians 3, we're going to look at what is my favorite prayer in all of the scriptures. My favorite prayer. And I hope Jesus isn't offended because it's not, he prayed a lot, but it's not one of his prayers. Uh, it, it's one of Paul's prayers. And the reason why I love this prayer so much is because I feel like it teaches us so much about prayer. And, and I feel like, I said this a couple weeks ago, when it comes to prayer, there's no experts. We're all beginners. We're all learning. And so I hope this morning we'll learn. And um, no matter how you feel about your prayer life, whether it's terrible and you have a lot of guilt about your prayerlessness or whether you feel like you're a very prayerful person, I think there's something this morning that Paul uh, will teach all of us through this amazing prayer that he prays for the church in Ephesus, his friends. Beginning in verse 12, he says, Because of Christ and our faith in him, we can now come boldly and confidently into God's presence. That's, that's the way we enter in through faith in Jesus Christ. So please do not lose heart because of my trials here. His trials are he's, he's in prison. He's awaiting execution. He's been wrongfully charged with taking a Gentile into the Jewish inner courts. He said, I am suffering for you, so you should feel honored. And when I think of all of this, I fall to my knees and pray to the Father, the creator of everything in heaven and on earth, And I pray that from his glorious, unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, and how high, and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ Though it is too great to understand fully, then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. As we look at this prayer, we notice what Paul prayed for. He prayed for inner spiritual strength. He prayed that Christ would be at home in the hearts of his people. What a good thing to pray. Jesus, would you always be at home in my heart? And he prayed that these Ephesus disciples would be deeply rooted in God's love. But we also need to notice what he didn't pray for. Paul never prayed for a change in their circumstances. He never prayed in a change for his circumstances. Remember, he's sitting in prison. He's sitting in jail. He's sitting in chains. He's waiting execution. And he never once prayed. And maybe you're thinking, well, okay, but we'll get to it later in Ephesians. Surely by the end of this letter, he asked for prayer. 
Well, let's go to the end of this letter real quick. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 19. He finally says, and pray for me too. And I'm sure the church at Ephesus thought, oh, here we go. Let's pray him out of prison. Ask God to give me the right words so I can boldly explain God's mysterious plan that the good news is for Jews and Gentiles alike. Paul never says, pray that God gets me out of jail, but rather pray that God gives me the words to preach the gospel wherever he sees fit to place me. Next verse. I am in chains now, but I'm still preaching this message as God's ambassador. So pray that I will keep on speaking boldly for him as I should. It's incredible. Paul never says, pray that I get out of here. Pray a a, a nasty prayer against my tormentors and against the Roman emperor and against my guards. Instead, he says, pray that where God has placed me, I would be faithful to what he's called me to do. In his book on prayer, called Prayer, Tim Keller says, it is remarkable that in all of his writings, Paul's prayers for his friends contain no appeals for changes in their circumstances. Now, this is not to say that we can't or shouldn't ask God, right, to change and intervene in our circumstances. In fact, there's many other examples in the New Testament, Acts chapter 12, they prayed for Peter to get out of jail, and he was released from jail, so it's different. Um, in James six, we're com- or James 5, we're commanded to bring sick, if you're sick, go to the elders of the church, be anointed with oil, and receive prayer. Peter tells us to cast all of our cares upon God, and so there is a precedent in Scripture to bring our cares and our concerns and ask God to intervene in our circumstances, and, and all of us do that right now, and I do that every day. We're praying for my mom, our pastor emeritus, Pastor Unhi, Unhi who really needs a miracle, like really needs a miracle from God to get through this season that she's in. And so I pray every day for that. So I'm not in any way saying we don't pray for for those things, but it seems clear from scripture, at least from Paul's letters, that our primary motivation, that's the key, our primary motivation for prayer is not that God would change our circumstances, but that God would change us in whatever circumstances we find ourselves So it's not that our primary motivation in prayer is, God, get me out of this, but God, what do you want to do in me while I'm in this? And so here's the big idea this morning, is that Christians, disciples, we don't pray first to see change, we pray first to be changed. We don't pray first to see change, we pray first to be changed. And what we're going to see this morning is that there's a danger in praying only to see change, but there's power in praying to be changed. So let's talk about the danger in praying first to see change. And there's two of them. The first one is this. We don't know what we don't know. We don't know what we don't know. In verse 13, Paul said to the church in Ephesus, don't lose heart because of my trials. I'm suffering for you. You should feel honored. Here's what Paul is saying. You may think, how you, you, may think you know how you should feel about this, but you, you're wrong. You don't know what you don't know. And every single human being contains this dangerous combination. It's the combination of a very limited perspective, but an unlimited confidence in our limited perspective. So if you think of the world as a 10,000-piece puzzle, our perspective is one piece of that puzzle. But we're so confident that our one piece of the puzzle is the way everybody else should see the puzzle. And we're so confident that our one piece of the puzzle gives us the perspective to know. But we don't know what we don't know. Have you ever noticed that no one ever prays for bad things to happen to themselves? I've never sent my girls off to school saying, girl, God, I pray that you'd give Lily a really difficult day today. Make it really challenging for her. If she's home in tears, that would be great, right? We don't, we don't pray. People don't even pray for neutral things to happen for themselves. 
God, help me to have an okay day. We only pray for good things, which is fine, but that's coming from our perspective that we know what is truly good for us. But look back at your own life. Have you always known what was best for you? What was always good for you? When I was in, I've used this example before, but when I was in Bible school, I worked in this little gas station in Lima, New York, and all they played in there was country music. I thought I was going to die at first. Um, but within a week, I loved all the songs <laughs> and was singing them all. And there was a very popular song back then by a popular country star named Garth Brooks. And the song was called Unanswered Prayers. And the story of the song, and of course there's a story to it, it's country music. The story to the song is that he goes back to his old high school for a big football game, and it's been years since he's been there, and he runs into the woman that he, at one point in his life, prayed every night, God, let me marry her, let me marry her. And he runs into her, and he's got his now wife and family with him, and he sees her, nothing against her, but he realizes, God, thank you for not answering that prayer. And the key line in the whole song is, one of God's greatest gifts is unanswered prayers. You have some unanswered prayers in your past that if you're honest about it, you should be pretty glad God didn't answer those prayers. We don't know what we don't know. What if, here's what I'm trying to suggest to us this morning, what if your prayers to see change are actually you anxiously and frantically trying to remove yourself from the very set of events that God is wanting to use for his glory and for your good? What if God has you exactly where he wants you And you're not getting out of that season what he has for you because you're so busy trying to claw your way out of it. We say, God, give me a better job, a better spouse, a better life. Change this, change that. And God might say to us, I'm using those very things to change you. And that's what matters. Our prayers are often that the stuff around us would be rearranged to our preference. But maybe we should pray that the stuff inside of us would be rearranged to his preference. God, do in me what you need to do in this season. We don't know what we don't know. No. Now listen, not knowing doesn't paralyze us from coming and asking. Even in our finite, limited perspective, we still can come and ask and cast our cares, right? But it should give us pause when we insist on seeing the change we want, and it should keep us from losing our joy when we don't see the change that we want. The second danger in praying first to see change, and this one will take a little explanation, is that we might end up praying for our God instead of to our God. We might end up praying for our God. In other words, what we're praying for is our true God. What we're asking God for is actually what we love most, desire most, and trust most. We're praying for our God instead of praying to our God. And in verse 17, Paul says that Christ will make his, ho- his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Trust is such a powerful thing. Trust is connected to the very spirit of Jesus Christ dwelling within us. If we trust, Jesus will make himself at home in our lives. And prayer has a way of revealing who we really trust in, not only if we pray, but how we pray. See, some people pray because they love God above all things else. And for them, prayer is an exercise of surrendering to a God who they say, God, I love you and I trust you above all else. But some people pray because above all else, they love what they think God can do for them. And so God is not beautiful to their hearts. He's useful to their hearts. And their prayer life is all about how do I leverage my faithfulness to God to get what I want in life? Do you want God or do you want what you think God can do for you? You have to pay attention to what you always pray for and what you never pray for. 
If we always pray for God to give us things and do things for us and help us out in situations, but we never pray for him to, to do a deep work in our hearts, then maybe we're in the danger of praying for our God instead of to our God. Many of us are certain that if we just had a new job, better friends, a special someone, if we were respected, noticed, loved, we would be happy, satisfied, free, good. We're always one change away. But that's a sign that we've put our trust in something other than God. So pay attention to what you always pray for and what you never pray for. Also, pay attention to your heart when you don't get what you want. Anyone ever had an unanswered prayer? I have. What happens to your heart? What are these things? We call these non-negotiable prayers. God, I will serve you if you will do this for me. I remember in high school, I prayed many prayers like that right before a test. <laughs> God, if you will let me remember stuff I didn't study, <laughs> I will serve you forever. Or not to be gross, have you ever been in a situation where you can't find a bathroom, you need to get to one, and you start making all sorts of bargains with God? God, if you'll just let me find a bathroom, then forever I will worship you and, and serve you. And we pray these sort of non-negotiable prayers. But here's the thing, non-negotiable prayers reveal who or what we really trust in most. Who do I love most? What is your true God? And this approach to prayer that, God, if you'll do this for me, I'll serve you. And if you don't, then I don't know. It sees Jesus as a useful tool, but not a beautiful treasure. And he's not going to be used. He's only going to be worshipped. When I used to travel more, I would come home from trips, and my young daughters would come to the door. And many times when I would travel, especially out of town and for a few days, I'd always bring back some sort of a little gift. And it got into the rhythm where I would walk into the house, and instead of them looking at my face, they'd be looking at my hand. I don't totally blame them, but what they wanted was, what they were saying is, what did Dad bring us? And what I wanted them to say is, Dad, you're the gift. <laughs> you came home safe and sound, and you're enough. If you didn't bring us back a doll, a toy, a snack, it's okay, because you're home, you're enough. And I wonder if in our prayer lives, if we can honestly say, God, you're enough. If you never do another thing for me, and he will, because he delights to bless you, but it's about your heart. If you won't answer this prayer, if I don't see that healing, if I don't get that raise, if that person doesn't apologize to me, if that relationship isn't restored, is he enough? When he walks into the door of our lives, are we looking at his face or are we looking at his hand? And Paul confronts us with this, with the way in which he prays. We don't pray first to see change, we pray first to be changed. Okay, so that's the danger. We don't know what we don't know, and we might end up praying for our God instead of to our God. And then there's the power in praying to be changed. And let's talk about this before we close. The power, there's two types of power that I want to talk to you about. And the first one is there is the power in remembering our need. The power is in remembering our need. Paul says in verse 14, I fall to my knees and pray to the Father, the creator of everything in heaven and on earth. And when, Paul, when someone falls to their knees and prays out and cries out, this position and this way of naming God is a recognition of need. God, I need you. I'm on my knees. I am begging before you. It's the remembering of our great need. Why? I've often wondered to myself, because I've struggled with seasons of prayerlessness, and prayer is a constant battle for me. And so often I'll be like, why am I prayerless? How can I go through a week and not have significant prayer time? What does that say about my heart? What does that say about my relationship with God? What does that say about me? And one of the things I've learned that is most true, at least about me, is that my prayerlessness often results from self-reliance. I think I got it. Life's okay. Things are going fine. And so I forget 
my great need for God. Not just need for food and safety and health, but my need to be changed by God. That I'm far from a finished product, that God has so much work to, I mean, do any of you have that sense that God still has so much work to do in your heart and in your life. I'm overwhelmed by that many times, how much change God still has to bring about in my life, how much, I, how much I have yet to grow to love and serve God the way he wants me to. See, it's one thing to say I can't change my circumstances, but it's a whole nother level of humility to admit I can't even change myself. I can't even change myself. And this is why we pray, because of our great need when we read this, this passage earlier, we love words like, did you notice these words? Resources, power, and experience. Like us Pentecostals, Charismatics, were like, yes. Resources, power, experience. Chant it with me. Resources, power, experience. But Paul says this, you need resources for inner strength so that Christ can dwell in you. You need power to understand his love and to be stable and rooted and you need to experience him so that you will be brought to completion, maturity, and wholeness. See, you and I need supernatural intervention to change, but we often forget how great our need is and what our greatest need is. And God never made this clearer to me in my life than the 79 days after Madeline was born when she was in the NICU at Upstate Hospital. And I remember second or third day, after she was born, she's sitting in her incubator. She's hooked up to lots of machines, and she's two pounds, one and a half ounces. Actually, by then, she probably weighed less because she had already lost some weight. And I'm looking at her, and many of you were with us in prayer. You were standing with us, and we're so grateful. And there was such a sense of, like, just you couldn't miss how much she needed help. You couldn't miss it. She needed so much. And I remember one day I was just there sitting next to her, praying with her, praying for her. And the Spirit spoke so clearly to my heart and said, you know, David, you need me right now just as much as she needs me. We look at things externally and we think, oh, we know who needs help. You and I need help just as much as the person who's thrown their life away to an addiction. You and I need help just as much as the people who don't think about Jesus, know Jesus, love Jesus. You and I need help just as much as the people who are in the hospital right now fighting for their lives. You and I need God in that sort of way. But sometimes we forget how much we need him. There's power in remembering the need. We need to be changed. We can't change ourselves. So what do we do? We pray. And when we don't pray, it's our way of saying to God, I don't need you. And I don't need what you have for me. And God help us, because we need him. And then lastly, there's the power in not just remembering our need, but in remembering his name. In verse 12, Paul says, because of Christ and our faith in him, this is how we started the reading, we can now come boldly and confidently into God's presence. I've used this example before, but it's as good of one of I can think of, so I'm going to use it again. When you go to a wedding and you're at a wedding reception and you're meeting people for the first time, how do you introduce yourself? You almost always introduce yourself in relation to the bride or the groom, right? I'm the bride's old friend. I'm the groom's college roommate. I'm the uncle of the bride. And basically, you're trying to validate why you're in the room and why you're carrying three plates full of food back to your table. You're saying, I belong here. But you're not saying, I belong here because this is who I am. You're saying, I belong here because this is my relationship to the people in the room that matter most. And when we pray and we come into God's presence, we don't come into God's presence saying, I'm here because of me. And I'm here on my own. We say, I'm here because I'm coming in the name of Jesus. 
and he's the one that matters the most. And it's my relationship with him that gives me access to the Father. I come on the basis of the record of another, not my own. When we pray, in G- when we say at the end of our prayers often, in Jesus' name I pray, that's not just like a religious ritual. We're saying, Father, I come before you in the name of Jesus because under any other name I don't have access to you. You don't want to come to the Father under your name. I don't want to go to God under my name. I want to go to God under the name of Jesus because it's Jesus who gives us access. So prayer is your daily reminder that you are accepted and you have access to God only because of the work of Jesus Christ on your behalf. And this is the heartbeat of the gospel, that with his death, Jesus Christ absorbed God's wrath for you, but with his life, Jesus Christ secured God's welcome for you. So you've not just been saved from a punishment and a wrath, but you've been given a welcome that you didn't earn and you don't deserve. You are seated where you shouldn't be. And we sang about this morning, we are seated in heavenly places because of Jesus, our champion. God allows you to draw near because you are trusting fully and solely in his son. He doesn't see you, so to speak. He sees the son. And you're praying in Jesus' name, and that's the power in remembering his name. I'm going to have Pastor Antonia come up and join me here. Don't pray first to see change. Pray first to be changed. And the last thing I want to answer this morning is this. How do we change? How do we change? Verse 19, Paul answered it. He said, may you experience, this is he's praying for the church in Ephesus, listen to this, may you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. Then you will be changed. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. And and Paul's, this is a really interesting prayer, what he does here in verse 19, because he's doing two things that are somewhat surprising. First off, he's praying for Christians that they would know God's love. Here's what he's doing. He's praying that they would know what they already know. They already know God's love, but he's praying for something else. What is he praying for? At the same time, he does something very interesting here. He prays that they would know what cannot be known. One of the translations says that they would would know what can't be known, that they would understand what cannot be fully known. In other words, what Paul is saying is that they must know, praying that we would know in our hearts what we know in our heads, that we would have a full experience of the love of God. Many years ago, I was with friends in Philly, and we went to this great restaurant in downtown called Amada, Spanish restaurant, and I ordered the lamb chops, and I got a medium rare, because that's how God intended it to be eaten. And they came out, and I turned to my friend Peter, and I said, Peter, have you ever had lamb? And very sort of unexcited, unimpressed, he's like, yeah, I'm pretty sure I've had lamb. But based on his Lack of excitement. I was thinking, no, yeah. And so I was like, well, look, I was like, do you want to try my lamb? Sort of hoping he'd say no, but he said yes. And so I cut him off a piece of this lamb. I gave it to him. He ate it. And as he was eating it, his eyes just got huge. And after he was done, he looked at me and he goes, I don't think I've ever had lamb before. I don't think I've really ever had lamb before. And what Paul is praying for the Ephesians here is that they would have an opening eyes moment that they'd have a sense on their heart of the goodness of God, where they will say, and some of you still need this, and some of us have had this, and some of us need, well, all of us need this every single day, let's be honest. But your whole life, you've kind of said, yes, God is good, and I know he's good, and yes, I'll, but have you tasted and seen that he's good? Have your eyes burst open at his goodness? And that's what Paul's praying for here, that you wouldn't just cognitively be good with this idea of God but that you would have such an experience with his spirit that you would say, wow, he's good. 
You need to experience what you know. You can't make it happen for yourself. You can't make it happen for your children, for your spouse, for your neighbors. So what do we do? We pray. (laughs) We pray. Because prayer positions us to remember our need and his name. And this will change us. And maybe... Next, for the next week, maybe as a church, we can commit to praying it for interchange only. I know there's a lot of things that we need to pray for, but at least in addition to praying for all the things on our list, and they're all worth praying for, can we start to carve out time in our prayer life to say, God, change me. Make me more like your son. And my family who's struggling and my friends who are suffering, yes, touch them and deliver them, but if they're exactly where you want them, change them in it. Let the change be in them, not just around them. I believe the Father will do that for us. Let's pray together this morning.